It is the 200 level episode 102. Ryan Baker, a conversation with him coming up in just a bit. A Illini legend. Well, you can call him that. I know he didn't play on the court with the Flying Illini, but he was a manager and over the years has kind of become a fixture for Illini athletics, whether it be emceeing different events and really kind of being a, a representative of the university wherever he's been in the media. Right now, he is the morning anchor at CBS Chicago, and we had this conversation on Friday. So this is about four or five days ago, but it is very timely. It's pretty evergreen, meaning that this could work. I could post it two months from now, and it would still be a valid conversation. But talked about his career in the media, talked about some of the racial issues going on now and his own experiences with that. Great conversation from a true professional, and I knew it would be good, but I did not anticipate that I would make a whole thing of notes, which for those that know me, I don't normally do that. Back in the day, like early college game day live, I'd have a five-page itinerary. Eventually, I realized that I just kind of like to wing it, maybe a few crib notes, if that. But I had this whole thing done on Friday morning as I'm having breakfast, making sure that I'm prepared with the right questions for Ryan, and then we get into it, and it just evolves into a very organic conversation. And those are my favorite kinds of interviews, the ones where you got the notes in case you need them. But the big thing that I've learned over the years, I've never been a great interviewer. That's never been my skill, I don't think, but I am getting better. And here's what I do is you actually listen. I, going back to Tay and Jay and Tay and Carp, depending on the guest, and maybe I shouldn't out myself like this, but if I wasn't really into the guest, I would just go down the bulleted list of questions and just ask what was already there. And that is probably not the best way to interview someone. You need to listen, see what they say, and let that kind of lead the interview as opposed to just following this rigid bullet point question list. So didn't do that at all and really probably only got to five things that I'd even written down on this notepad because everything else just sort of came up in the course of that conversation. You'll hear that in a bit. I'm not going to have too long of an opening segment today because crazy as it sounds, there's not a whole lot going on in sports. We're sort of the quiet before the storm we're nine days away from Major League Baseball. We got the NBA players in their bubble in Orlando, including Tim Sinclair. So the local guy, PA announcer, he's already down in the bubble. I had to ask him a question, and I, I don't know what this says about me, but they're in this bubble for seven days, and they cannot leave the hotel. And maybe they can't even leave the hotel room. I'm, I'm not 100% sure about that. But I asked, okay, you got room service and all that. Do they have free booze? Because I'm thinking if I'm trapped somewhere for a week and all I got is Netflix and any other sort of streaming service, but I can't leave my hotel room, I need something to help pass the time. So he said, well, they don't, but a bunch of people came prepared. And actually, Myers Leonard on Twitter had this video that came out where he was able to shotgun a beer in three, uh, three seconds flat. So whether it be Tim Sinclair or Myers Leonard, we're having the Illini faction sort of inform us of the drinking habits of players and staff in the NBA bubble. But we do have sports coming up. As I mentioned, it's just sort of the waiting period and hoping that these all get off the ground. Got to feel good about professional sports. It seems like they are going full steam ahead despite some guys saying that they're going to sit out. We'll get to that in a second. Russell Westbrook testing positive for COVID-19. That's a huge hit for the Rockets, though he will be back as long as the season actually you know, finishes up. We'll get to that, the actual impacts of COVID-19 on individual players in a bit, along with kind of wrapping a bow on the basketball tournament. But before we do, a reminder that the 200 level is brought to you by DPDO. Online at dpdo.com for all the best deals and prices, dpdo.com. It could be a custom zone with any topping that you want. It could be one of their favorites like a Maui Wowie, a buffer zone. Best of all, they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana. 
dpdoe.com. For all the best deals and prices, dpdoe.com. Also, Fourth and Kirby online at fourthandkirby.com, and the hot weather is continuing. It's going to be like 95, humid this weekend. You don't want a hoodie, even though they got hoodies, or at least a crew neck sweatshirt, but you want t-shirts. You need to stay cool and look cool doing it. Fourthandkirby.com, vintage-inspired Illini apparel at fourthandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200-level for 10% off your order at fourthandkirby.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. Wife, auto, home, business, renters, you name it. Brian Hansen is someone that you can trust, and along with his staff that are not just insurance experts, but local products, so they have your local interest at heart. And it's brianismyguy.com. Trevor Valise's favorite domain name, and with good reason. Also, Alana Inquirer and the Champagne Showers Podcast Network partners of the 200 level now in our 102nd episode we got 98 to go until the next 200th episode blowout or whatever we'll call that it's unfortunate that our live sports experience with house of pain ended i don't want to say prematurely that's probably not the case they did after all beat the number one seed in carmen's crew and that was cathartic I asked Ryan Baker about that at the end of the conversation, and you'll find, because it was recorded Friday, I think we both felt good that they would beat this team of Dayton players, Red Scare. I didn't know many of the guys on it. I didn't know any of the guys on it, to be honest. But that was not a very fun game to watch. I I know that there was the comeback at the end, but what it reminded me of when House of Pain went in this prolonged drought where they could not score. It reminded me of many of the John Gross teams. And keep in mind, a lot of these guys on the team are John Gross guys. And you would just have these five, six-minute stretches on offense where it actually wasn't necessarily fun to watch. It was great having live sports. But the game itself on Friday was not particularly fun to watch. Now, I did miss the best part. This is about, it's right when the Elam ending was instituted. So under the four-minute mark, and Illinois needs to go on a 27-8 run or something like that to win. Presuming that this thing was over, I end up going to Cactus Grill. Now, Cactus Grill, for the uninitiated, is this amazing place in Champaign, kind of like a local Chipotle. It just opened up on July 6th, and Kara and I decided we got to get it on Friday. So I decided I'm going to beat the rush and get there before 5 o'clock, any post-work traffic, avoid the crowds, all that sort of thing. And it seemed like a safe enough time to do that with Illinois, or House of Pain, sorry, trailing by, what, 15, 16 points. As I pull back into the garage about 5.10, 5.15, I get a text from my dad saying, ah, that stupid Elam ending. And I'm thinking, okay, if he's texting me this now, clearly I missed something. I did miss a great comeback. I know it fell short. I guess you could say that is a fake rally. And God knows we are familiar with that. But it was an ugly game, but nonetheless... The, the three-game stretch that we had from July 4th through, I guess that would have been July 10th, was a nice reminder of how sports can be very consuming. You know, when they're on, you're in it. I'm on the couch and I'm watching every minute of this game and enjoying it, despite the fact that I'm not enjoying it, if that makes sense. And I know the absence of sports, it makes the heart grow fonder, but as we get closer and closer to actually live sports that we care about, baseball being the first one to return I'm not sure all the emotions I'm going to feel. I I know, for one, I'll be happy, right? But as I go over to my sister and brother-in-law's next Thursday for the Yankees Nationals, Garrett Cole, Max Scherzer. I mean, come on, what an opener. On ESPN, so if it's a national game, anybody can watch it. I'm guessing many will. And the first pitch is thrown. I don't know what kind of feeling I'm going to have. I'm going to wake up that morning like it's Christmas morning. I'm going to wear a Yankees jersey all day. I'm going to be a total fanboy like my Twitter moniker would suggest. And I know that absence has certainly made that uh, 
that thirst, that hunger for sports to come back all the stronger. This is a little bit scary though, right? Because we know it's right there. We know it's on the cusp of coming back, but I think the fear that we all have, especially as the pandemic numbers go up in certain states where these teams are playing, are they going to finish the season? You know, that creeps into my mind and I I try to keep it at bay. Fortunately, my excitement for it returning is keeping the leeriness of the pandemic just washing all this away. It's keeping that rather minimal. Okay, that that excitement just for the return of baseball, even for the NBA, which I'm not the biggest NBA fan in the world, but you can bet I'll be watching it when it returns. All that said, uh, it is, I think, a stark line between college sports and pro sports. Now, in pro sports, I think the movement that we're seeing are individual athletes saying, you know what, I don't feel comfortable doing this. I'm going to set this year out. We have Michael Kopeck for the White Sox. He's setting out. I think he's coming off Tommy John surgery anyway. You have Jordan Hicks, closer for the Cardinals. Same thing. He's setting out. He has type 1 diabetes, so you would consider him at risk for something like this. Nick Markakis. Uh, let's see, Buster Posey. Mike Trout's the name that I know has been thrown around, and it would not be at all surprising, given some of the comments that he's made, if he does sit out. And that would be a huge hit, not just for the Angels, but for baseball, to go through all this effort of bringing the sport back only to have your best player say, you know what, I'm going to set this one out. But it would be hard to fault him. Now you're starting to see guys come down with COVID-19. Aroldis Chapman for the Yankees, he's out, according to Aaron Boone, indefinitely, or at least for the foreseeable future. I think that was the direct quote. DJ LeMayhew, their best hitter last year, same thing. This is going to happen during the season too. So your favorite team, Cubs, White Sox, Cardinals, maybe you're a Yankees fan, I don't know. But your favorite team is going to hit some bumps in the road where if a player tests positive for COVID-19, that's two weeks immediately that they're out at a minimum until, what, I think two consecutive negative tests or something like that. This is going to have an impact on who wins the World Series, on who wins the NBA Finals. But all things considered, if the return of sports is what you want the most, professional sports are probably going to grant you that. College sports, of course, that's the other side of the coin. I do talk with Ryan Baker towards the end of this conversation about how the flying Illini guys would have reacted to the outspoken nature of college athletes right now, the empowerment that they feel to actually speak out on these things where back in 1988-89, they were probably thinking many of the same things, including, I mean, come on, the flying Illini, all the money they made for the University of Illinois, for Champaign-Urbana, apparel makers and, and restaurants and bars. And they didn't see a dime of it, at least while they were here. I know that many of them went on to the NBA or to play professionally, but think of all the money they made for the university, for other parties, and they didn't get themselves. And Ryan does speak to that. He says they probably would have been outspoken about it. And he has a really funny anecdote about conversations they did have and how Coach Henson and Jimmy Collins responded to that. I thought it was pretty funny. You'll hear that late in the interview with Ryan, but that is the difference, right? We're going to get pro sports in some way, shape, or form, even if the seasons themselves don't finish. But collegiate sports, when you have Ohio State Athletic Director Gene Smith say that he's not feeling too good about it, this is the Ohio State Athletic Director. We think we take sports seriously in Champaign-Urbana. I know we do for basketball, at least. Ohio State football is, that's a whole thing with identity. In that state, the Buckeyes, the the amount of flags that you see flying and apparel that they're wearing year-round, what we do here pales in comparison. These people are nuts. No pun intended. Buckeye's nuts. Get it? But when Gene Smith says that, that is a major yellow flag, bordering on red flag. Let's call it an orange flag then, if we combine the colors. Because it seems to me, 
as if when the biggest university starts speaking, as if they themselves are uncertain we're going to get this thing off the ground in the first place, buckle up. And it seems as if with reports coming out over the last couple of days that the idea of moving into the spring is not something that university presidents are necessarily in favor of either. So at that point, you're left with potentially a lost year. Now, that would be unfortunate all around, whether it be the enjoyment that you get watching these games or for the athletes themselves. Hopefully, they would all get an extra year of eligibility. You think of the financial ramifications, scholarship issues, who stays on the team, do you bring freshmen on? I I don't know. It's a lot of things to unpack and not easy either. Complicated for sure. I would love to think that six weeks from this podcast, I'm getting ready for the first at-home tailgate. It won't be Illinois State. We got that news from the Big Ten that it will be conference only, and you got to feel for Illinois State, for Bowling Green, for these teams that would travel into Big Ten stadiums and make a lot of money doing so. That is a huge hit to their athletic department budget. But I hope that six weeks from now I'm preparing for the start of the 10-game Big Ten schedule, whatever that looks like, whatever opponents are added for Illinois, who knows, right? But it unfortunately feels like a precursor to the ultimate decision that there will be no college football this year. And I am not the biggest college football fan. And when you're an Illinois fan, how can you be? <laughs> I mean, you know, compared to an Ohio State fan or a Penn State fan or you name the Blue Blood, I'm sure that their Saturdays are a little bit more enjoyable than mine. But all that said, that is a long fall. If you tell me that on Saturdays, it's just a normal Saturday. Even all these years that Illinois football has stunk. I still get excited to wake up on Saturday morning, even if they're two and six, if I know that there's a tailgate to be had or that I can have some friends over and watch the game wherever Illinois is playing. These are things that I look forward to, even as a, let's say, uh, above average college football fan. Yeah, th- that would be a long fall if you say that there will be no college football. In the NFL, That <laughs> I say professional sports are going to be fine, but just the nature of the game of football leads me to believe that, okay, that's going to be tough sledding even for the NFL and all the safety protocols they can put in place. One final thing that is a little bit disappointing is last year I I helped out with the cross-country team at Jefferson. I went to about five or six different practices, ran with the kids, and it was a lot of fun. Great cross-country team at Jefferson Middle School. And thinking about high school and middle school sports, and at that age I was never much of an athlete, so I, I never made varsity, let's put it that way. But for a lot of these kids, this is something that they look forward to more than anything. I mean, you name the sport, uh, but it is those extracurricular things, whether it be sports or even band. You can't really have band in the middle of a pandemic. Talk about aerosol just spreading all over the place. You're playing a trombone or a trumpet. No, it ain't going to happen. So these extracurriculars for kids, junior high school kids, high school kids, gone in essence. Or if they are not officially gone, let's be real, there's not going to be a high school football season. There's not going to be many high school fall sports, maybe even into the winter. It is unfortunate that as we sit here in the middle of the summer when things were supposed to kind of cool off for a little bit, that we don't have more hope that these things will actually get off the ground. But while the pro sports will be fine with all the the structure that they have in place, the ability to play in a bubble for the most part, the same cannot be said for college and high school sports. And at the end of the day, for people especially in a community like Champaign-Urbana, much as we love our NFL and Major League Baseball, there are real-life connections to middle school, high school, and college sports. The parents that go to the games. Well, if there are games, can parents even go sit in the stands? All these things that just suck 
at the end of the day, that's what it does. It sucks. And makes it all the more meaningful that baseball actually does get off the ground and finishes the season, has a World Series champion. Talk about distractions. We need distractions right now. But when you get the health and safety component in there, that's why I have less of a moral issue getting excited for professional sports because they can say, no, I'm setting it out. That is their right as a professional player. Same can't be said for college, high school, and middle school. I'm hoping that the decision makers across the board, they make the right decision. Unfortunately, as this month stretches out and we get the post-July 4th bump in cases, it's inevitable. You know it is. And we get into early August and things are not better, and they probably won't be, then it really does force the hand of chancellors, presidents, governors. I was on a run yesterday and there was a guy that had a Pritzker sucks t-shirt. And I didn't say anything because whatever. I mean, it's his prerogative. Maybe Pritzker does suck, right? But in terms of the COVID-19 response, all the flack that he and other governors, Cuomo, New York, DeWine in Ohio, Newsom in California, you know, understandable that they got as much grief as they did because you're telling people they can't do things. But I think that speaks to the fact that these are very unpopular decisions, no matter what is decided. They're very unpopular. But that's where you hope that leaders understand that that just kind of comes to the territory. If you're a leader of something, you need to be the unpopular one in certain cases if it means the health and safety of students, student-athletes, citizens. There are going to be many unpopular decisions made, and that's just the way it is. But I am hoping that ultimately common sense prevails. And as we sit here through something that hopefully doesn't happen for another 100 years, I mean, this might be a very simplistic way to look at it, but I'm thinking, okay, I've already spent four months essentially in this bubble, and each of us are living in a bubble to whatever extent we can. What's the rest of the year at this point? And I know that sounds like, whoa, through Christmas, through winter 2021, we actually got to just kind of sit back and not do much. It sucks, but clearly we didn't get the message the first time. It seems like that's kind of the way it's trending. All right, before we get to Ryan Baker, a reminder that later this week, Friday, we got a podcast coming out with Casey Boguslaw. I'll talk to him Thursday. Major League Baseball preview. We'll look at the new realigned geographical divisions, who he likes in each one of those, what the playoff situation may look like. Casey knows the stuff with baseball. So while I'm very much a novice fan, it'll be good to get an expert on and talk about what is going to be a Major League Baseball season like no other. I think that's quite the understatement. So we have that later this week. Next week, we'll figure out what we do before we get out of here for vacation, the week of July 27th. And I'd love to think that when I get back from vacation, we will be focusing on Illini football training camp. Maybe. I don't know. Don't hold your breath. But let's try to stay optimistic, right? Okay, without further ado, let's get Ryan Baker on. So this is about a 45-minute conversation. Had it on Friday morning. It's not really time-specific, so everything we talked about then still applies. And one memorable time that I, I didn't broach this with Ryan, but a memorable conversation I had with him was the Saturday that Bill Cubit was fired and Lana and I had to go in the studio and do a special show and coverage of Josh Whitman talking about Bill Cubit being fired. And that was when the rumors were starting to come out that Lovey Smith would be the next head coach. We had Ryan Baker on. He all but confirmed it. As much as someone could without saying it, Ryan really let us and the listeners know that, yeah, Lovey Smith was the guy. How exciting was that, right? And we knew then, and I think most Alani 
media types have known for a while that Ryan Baker is is a professional at what he does. He has seen a lot in terms of Illinois sports. He has a unique vantage point, having been part of that flying Illini squad as a manager and the relationships that he's built over the years. He has a very unique perspective on Illini sports. But what we focus on mostly here is his own career, his path from sports now to a news anchor on CBS Chicago, quite an ascension through the ranks over the years. And not surprisingly, you'll find in this interview that he's one of the more engaging people that we've had on this podcast for sure. So let's get to it. It is Ryan Baker, CBS Chicago on the 200th level. It is a thrill to have this morning on the 200 level, Ryan Baker. He is, of course, the morning news anchor up at CBS Chicago, but many of you probably know him as a longtime sports guy and, of course, a proud Illini. It says so on your Twitter bio, too, Ryan. I'm going to get to Illini stuff here in a bit, but that transition from sports guy to news anchor. First off, when was that? Just a reminder for our listeners. And also, um, was that something that had been kind of bubbling um, in your mind for a while, or was it kind of laid on you as a bit of a surprise? Well, first of all, Mike, thanks for having me. And to say it's a thrill, that's high praise. So I, I hope I live up to You'll all be good. That top billing. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Um, I'm glad to be here. It's uh, really, really looking forward to having a chat with you. Uh, believe it or not, it's almost been a year since I made the transition from sports as being a sports reporter and anchor for almost three decades, which is hard to believe. I mean, I graduated from U of I in 1991 and started working at Channel 15 and then went to Channel 3. I was at WCIA. I left there in the spring of 94 to go to San Diego, which at that time, Midwest Television, which owned Channel 3, WCIA at the time, and WMBD in Peoria. They had KFMB in San Diego, so they moved me out there. So that was, I mean, you're talking 26 years ago? That's a long time. And so what's interesting is that my broadcasting career started in news uh, before I made the transition to sports. When I first started at Channel 15, and I, I always give credit and praise and thanks to Dan Sweeney, who at that time was a sports anchor at, at the WICD when it was an NBC station mm-hmm. uh, in Champaign over there. Um, and, you know, I'd gotten to know Dan very well from my days as a, basketball manager with the flying Illini teams. Matter of fact, Dan did a story on me. I think I might've been a freshman or a sophomore because the guys used to call me John Thompson. I was probably about a few pounds heavier and used to wear a towel and had glasses. And they said, well, you, they used to call up and call me John Thompson. He used to wear the towel. So uh, Dan called me right after I graduated because the, rea- the, the harsh reality hit in May of 91 after graduation, like you don't have a job. So what's next? And I had been, you know, like, like every young student a young person believes they're ready for prime time when you're nowhere near close to that i had sent tapes out and different things uh just trying to get anybody to take interest but he called me and uh said hey listen larry smith i don't know if you remember larry smith mm-hmm. he's from mattoon and he was at cnn a long time and worked in various markets around the country was just in, in, in dc at that time he was on air at channel 15 he had gone from intern to you know, shooting and reporting. And next thing you know, he, he was anchoring on air. Well, he got a job, I believe in Knoxville, Tennessee. 
And in you know, those days, I'm sure it's the case in many small markets now, everybody kind of gets bumped up. It opened up a spot for a cameraman, a photographer. And he called me and said, hey, we got this job. And before he could even get it out, I was like, I'll take it. <laughs> and that was probably a week or two after graduation. And um, that was a, a, a stroke of, you can call it luck. I, I, I say it was a tremendous blessing. It was an opportunity. And I didn't. I just jumped on it, never looked back. I didn't think about the job I eventually wanted. I just wanted to get my sure. foot in the door. And I felt like if I could do that, um, I'd be on my way. And it, I, I, what I remember distinctly is that it paid $5 an hour. I think I still have my first check stub somewhere in a box. And I thought, I, you know, I, I, it was like winning the lotto as far as I was concerned in those uh, much simpler times of uh, working with great people, uh, um, just Sandra Chapman was the anchor at the time. And I remember, um, uh, you know, Dan Sweeney, Scott Andreessen, uh, did weekend sports. And, you know, I got in as and started shooting, uh, for other reporters out on the stories as a photographer. But within a couple of months, I was like shooting and reporting my own stories as a one man band. Sports was always kind of my entree into getting on the air. I, I would do the athlete of the week. And I don't think Dan or Scott really enjoyed doing them. They said, you know, Ryan wants to do it. I'd go out with, you know, the, the worst camera equipment by myself and <laughs> drive all over central Illinois shooting these stories and editing them. But it was amazing experience and hands-on. I mean, it just, it really laid the foundation and the groundwork for the, the rest of my career. And I wouldn't do it any other way. Uh, but within six months, I was uh, promoted to a reporter. And I, I would, I think, produce the six o'clock and then go out and report for the 10 o'clock. And then, uh, you know, about six months after that, in 92, Dave Shaw, the late Dave Shaw, who I give so much credit to as a mentor and really guiding my career and giving me an amazing opportunities to follow my dreams and pursue my passion. He called me. I think I was filling in on the 4th of July. It was a holiday. Nobody was there. And I was struggling to get a sports cast on which happened to be probably my worst on-air performance of my life. Wow, okay. <laughs> I, can, I can tell you that. And I have a tape of it somewhere. I mean, it's absolute, I mean when you walk out on the set and you don't have a mic on, you're sweating profusely, you realize, you know, in that, those days, I mean, you you know, had the big three-quarter-inch tapes. It might have been whatever they were. They were mislabeled, and I'm calling for Wimbledon, and the Dream Team popped up, and it was, just, it was <laughs> an utter disaster, a, a total dumpster fire. But anyway, he called me and said, are you under contract? Um uh, we have an opening. I, you know, I'd like you to talk to you about coming to work for us. So, needless to say, I, I said yes and yes, and the rest is history. And that that move right there set up everything else in my career to go to Channel Three, eventually to San Diego, and then on to Orlando in '95 when I started doing sports full time, which I did for basically 25 years from 1995 until last September when I made the transition to morning news anchor. Um, I guess that's a long-winded way of answering your question. So, well, a little bit uh, of full circle, uh, right? Well, full circle in terms it, of it, how it, you began. It, absolutely. It went full circle, and I didn't anticipate the opportunity. And so many people have said to me, well, you picked the right time to switch the news. I mean, there's been no sports to talk about right. for uh, almost approaching six months now. Uh, and uh, But no one could have ever imagined, or, and why would you want what we're going through now to happen, the, the, the pandemic and the shutdown and COVID-19 and the health crisis and the, the economic disaster and the aftermath. I mean, 
and so on and so forth. I mean, th- there's no way you, you could, you would ever want to dream this would happen. I, I just thought in my career path and, and in my life, you know, I just turned 50 last year and I just, uh, you know, I, I've always never wanted to stay in one place. You always want to continue to challenge yourself, whether it's uh, taking on more or new responsibilities, doing things that make you uncomfortable, uh, moving to places uh, you've never lived before. Uh, you know, it, that, that's never bothered me. If anything, it's it's really motivated me to to want to make those moves, to stretch myself and see what I can do and to challenge myself. And I, I we had an opening on the on the the morning show. And what's interesting is several times over the years that I've been here at CBS two, which is now uh, I left NBC five Chicago. I was there from 03 to 08. So now you're talking 13 years I've been here. There was at least a couple of occasions that previous management had asked me and tried to entice me to move to a anchor role on the news side, particularly in the morning show. And I, you know, certainly declined. I said, look, I, 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 I want to be a sports anchor, sports reporter. This is what I love doing. This is what, what, I, what I want to do now. But as life evolves and moves on, you get married, you have kids. I'm an older dad. Uh, you know, I have a six and a four year old. And, uh, your priorities start to change. And that coupled with one of the challenge, it was just like the perfect time, the perfect opportunity, the perfect match. And I, you know, just went with my gut. And, you know, I, I'm a, spiritual person and you know when you're led to do something I think you have to do it and if you don't you know there's usually some bad consequences and um, I, I haven't looked back and I know 100% unequivocally I made the right decision regardless of the the uh, national internet international turmoil we're dealing with right now and it just you know I hate to say toxic but it's like a, a non-stop news cycle that's not very positive right now so um you know, I don't know what the next chapter holds for me or what's in store around the corner, but this is where I think I need to be right now. You mentioned not staying in any one place for too long of a time. And I know that might not necessarily be a location, but maybe like a job or a different role. But as you're in right. San Diego, as you're in Orlando, was the goal always to eventually find your way back? To Chicago? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, sometimes I, I sit and think like, man, with the was that a bad goal to have? Because did that limit myself of saying, I just want to get back to Chicago? I think if you, if you grow up in this area, this state, um, and, and you're a sports fan, you want to be a sportscaster, there's really no greater sports market than, than Chicago because of the, the number of teams, the, the passion for the fans. It's so ingrained into our culture. And to have the opportunity to be a conduit, a voice for viewers, for, you know, a couple of decades in this city. I mean, that's, um, it's still mind boggling to me. It's been almost 20 years. I've been on the air in Chicago. Cause I remember as a kid, you know, this is pre cable, pre satellite, pre internet. When, you know, we had the black and white TV with three stations mm-hmm. or maybe the black and white TV sitting on top of the color TV that didn't work. <laughs> you, know, you actually had to have a pair of flyers to turn the channel and, and watching the nightly news was a, daily ritual which you know you know lord willing that continues at least until i retire but (laughs) for another 15 20 years but uh you know everything's on demand now so uh to to see that when when, honestly there weren't a whole lot of folks that looked like me 
I mean, don't adjust your zoom. Yeah, I'm, I'm normally this dark. I mean, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't just black and white. It was just mostly white. And so sure. to have uh, the opportunity to come back in an area where you grew up and be on the air. And, you know, I've been mentored by so many great people who um, didn't have to be as uh, helpful and generous and as kind with me to help me along the way. I mean, I, I can I remember one distinct story. Jim Rose, who's been just like one of the deans of sports casting in Chicago at ABC7 when I was, I think I was in junior high or high school. Not trying to date you, JR. But uh, <laughs> I might have I been early high school. Whenever it was, I was out to dinner and, and we, uh, with my family, and we saw him. And I went up to him and, you know, like kids will do often, hey, I want to do what you do. And in typical Jim Rhodes fashion, you know, he said, well, he kind of lectured me real quick, well, this is what you have to do. You, you know, you got to be focused, got to work hard, this, you know, sacrifice, blah, blah, blah. And I took it all in. And I ended up seeing him some years later on State Street and reminded him of that conversation. And he said he remembered. I don't know if it was honest or not. <laughs> Probably was, knowing him. And uh, I said, hey, you know, I'm in, I'm in high school. I'm going to U of I. And, you know, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to study journalism. And, you know, now he's beyond, besides being a mentor, he's one of my good friends. And it's just amazing how things progress that way. A lot of it might have been just fortuitous that we crossed paths, you know, to work with the late Warner Saunders, who was at NBC, who truly was a mentor. Steve Baskerville, who did weather here at CBS for so many years. I mean, there's so many people along the way who've um, uh, given me a hand up to, to achieve my dreams. And I try to do that same thing with young people now. Because once you reach a certain uh, plateau or a certain level, you know, it's not about just staying there. It's about bringing people with you and, and, and uh, obviously doing uh, as, as great of a job as you can do to open up opportunities for other people of color, uh, you know, to, to set a standard of excellence and also to reach back and be a mentor and be uh, uh, an advisor to be a help to those people who were trying to get to where you are and and, and following the, the trail that was blazed before me. You mentioned how not everybody on a news broadcast looks like, <clears throat> excuse me, looks like you. And I was thinking in terms of representation, a lot of those conversations are more about TV shows or movies, actors, actresses, things like that. But what is the value of representation on TV news? Well, I, I think... You know, representation and equality and diversity in, in every aspect of life is important because, um, look, consensus builds, um, greatness and you, 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 you reach excellence through having, uh, differing ideas, experiences, viewpoints, and you come together. I think that's when you, when, when, when you, when you come together and you can mesh that and respectfully, um, you know, reach a goal or a conclusion. I think that that's when you, that's when you, you're operating at your optimum level. That's when you, you have your best. And, uh, what, what I would, what I would stress to, to young people who want to get into the, uh, television business. I mean, because right now it's not even the television business. It's because of the digital age. I mean, everything is co-mingled. I mean, it's not, I mean, it used to be when I was coming up, you had print media if you want to be in television i mean in, in, in newspapers or, or magazines and then you had radio tv or broadcast and there was a distinct separation of church and state a distinct line now it's yeah. all blurred you know uh, you know the physical newspapers i mean our kids have no idea what those are now 
and everything is doing what we're doing now. I mean, we're broadcasting right now. Uh, you know, there's there's a mechanism. If we wanted to, we can do this live. You can make you know Instagram live or Facebook live. I mean, you know, basically we have TV studios in the palm of our hands. So now, because everything is so integrated uh, in terms of the technology, um, being in front of the camera. I mean, that's great if you have that talent and you want to pursue that. I, I don't want to discourage anybody, but but I would encourage you to look at being a decision maker about content. And that's a producer, executive producer, a uh, news director, a uh, regardless of whatever path you take, you better be a great writer. I mean, that's the bedrock and the foundation of everything that we do is writing. But, I, you know, th- that's where I think the most opportunities are and, and where there's longevity and more importantly that's where the real uh power is and certainly with that power comes a lot of responsibility but you know because even on a daily basis here in, or every newsroom across the country you know when you cut on the news at five six o'clock or ten o'clock or whether you're streaming it or you're looking online you know the people delivering those news have some input but they're not necessarily uh dictating or structuring uh, how that content's going to be provided. And, and that's so important today when it gets back to diversity because, you know, our, our news, our entertainment, every, everything we consume is kind of a la carte and it tends to fit our, however we want to slant things. If you want to lean whichever way you go politically, you can watch a, a news service that will deliver the news the way you want. Uh, I, I think that that's dangerous if you only are consuming one thing or or hearing one viewpoint as i said a diverse thought the diverse uh cultures i mean as a world until we can get to a point where we're living loving and respecting each other and hearing various viewpoints and every and understanding that and, and and respectfully agreeing to disagree without everything becoming you know so uh hard line whether it's partisan or whether it's, you know, people dig in so hard on their particular thoughts or opinions and they don't really listen because that's a, that's a big part of communication is listening, not necessarily talking, but listening and understanding and respecting, then, you know, this, this chaos will ensue. So I, th- I think it translates the same way in, in, in the uh, broadcast industry, in, uh, in business, in college athletics, in professional athletics, Again, you know, you could be your, your shelf life as a player is going to be but for so long. But the individuals who do the hiring, the firing, setting the policy, whether it's at your university, whether it's the NCAA, I mean, those are the people who make the decisions. And if there's not diversity in thought amongst those leaders, I, I think that's very problematic. I like how you mentioned diversity of thought because I was thinking about uh, since the George Floyd protests have begun and this conversation on race has really come to the forefront in mainstream news and any sort of news outlet uh, kind of a two-pronged question the first one would be what blind spots existed in your opinion in the way that media handled race before the george floyd protest and in that last five six weeks since that occurred what have they gotten right i say they i know that's a very broad term to say the media but what have they sure. gotten right and what have they maybe missed out on a little bit well, listen, I, I think it's much bigger and broader than the media. Um, you know, uh, believe it or not, in this age of fake news, I mean, there isn't one single day I wake up and say, you know what, I, I'm going to I'm going to go to work and, and 
push my agenda, what I think and what I feel uh, the world should hear and know. Uh, it's about the facts. It's about seeking the truth, telling the truth, being credible, being honest, being fair, being balanced. All of those tenets of journalism, they still exist. It, it's it's not cliche. It's not, you know, it's easy to say. I mean, I think one thing COVID-19 has exposed is how people are not comfortable being uncomfortable. And, you know, people don't want to always consume, hear, or listen to things that make them uneasy or uncomfortable. Talking about racism is hard. It's supposed to make you uncomfortable. When people protest, now I'm not talking about, you know, criminal-minded opportunists who want to seize a moment to do wrong and to uh, engage in criminal activity, but the true essence of protest is supposed to make you uncomfortable. That's the whole idea. Because if you stay with the status quo, nothing's going to change. I mean, I, I, you know, I know a little bit about history. That's kind of how this country was founded, was it not? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) There was a revolution, revolutionary war. You know, there, you know, there have been several acts of wars in this country. I mean, the Civil War, people had one opinion over here and, you know, with slavery being, you know, caught in the balance. But I digress. I, I would say that in terms of the blind spots, I think the blind spots are in society, not necessarily media. And it gets back to that diversity issue of not having other voices uh, in the room when the decisions are made about how you're going to cover stories or editorial decisions. If you don't have people who have different backgrounds or different experiences than you, then then you wouldn't understand. It's not even in your consciousness. We keep hearing this term systemic racism or used to be called institutional racism, uh, you know, and, and cultural bias where it's not necessarily a malicious thing. You just don't know. If you've never been black in America and you've never had a cop pull you over and you, your heart stops and you, 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 your heartbeat starts racing and, and you start sweating thinking like, I don't know how this could end. Well, that's happened to me as a teenager, as a young adult and as a grown man. That's happened. So it doesn't matter, you know, what your reputation is or what notoriety you have or what, whether you're on television, or how much money you make. That doesn't matter. That moment. It's a police officer and, and, a, and a black man. And this is something that's ingrained and instilled in you as a child. And, you know, some of this lack of trust or understanding, because I, I think if your consciousness is, well, I've never had a run in with the police and they've never treated me unfairly. So how could that exist? Well, you're not taking you're not understanding the other person's perspective and whether it's whether it's race, whether it's gender, <clears throat> you know, you know, uh, you know, throughout the course of history, um, uh, marginalized groups have had to fight and and really you know push and 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 struggle to have their voice heard and be seen as equals and be respected and you know unfortunately here we are centuries later in this country and it's still going on and what the George Floyd situation did because it was so in our face so visceral you see that video for the length of time and this man being murdered in front of your eyes and the callousness of the officer that you're looking at, I think that just, it really shoved it and said, okay, America, you have to deal with this. And the media is included. So, so yes, of course there's blind spots. And I think, I mean, it's something as simple as saying when, you know, in the days after the, the George Floyd situation, if you report and, and some of the scripts might say the death of George Floyd, well, George Floyd didn't, he didn't die of a heart attack. He was murdered. It was a homicide. He was killed. And I think once you sanitize or whitewash or dumb things down, it, you know, 
it subconsciously desensitizes us to the situation instead of saying, no, this is what happened and what is happening. You know, and we've had, it just seems like a back to back in this age where everything is recorded, everything is filmed, whether it's a situation in Central Park where the bird watch you asked a woman, white woman to leash her dog and she says she's being attacked by a black man or threatened or the uh, Ahmaud Arbery or Breonna Taylor, uh, you know, the situation in Atlanta in the drive-through when a, you know, basically a drunk driver gets shot and killed by a police officer for grabbing a taser, which is not a deadly weapon. I mean, so, I mean, there's so many, I mean, it's like this disparity that exists and that we all deal with that we all understand, certainly as a black man, you know, you, I mean, you're raised as a, as a, as a kid to say, look, you got to be twice as good to get half as much. You ever heard that? Yes. Yeah. I had a friend and, and on, so that's kind of, well, I had a friend on the podcast, and the when I was reflecting on our experiences in high school, we'd go to lunch together, we had a few classes together, he ended up going to Illinois State, I stayed here at UIUC, and now he lives in Atlanta, and what struck me during that conversation, it was it sort of dawned on me that a lot of the sort of subconscious weight that he had as a young black man, right, as I live here in Champaign-Urbana, and I go through my life, I knew that I could make a mistake here. I could make a mistake there. I'm good. And, and I didn't necessarily, yeah, I didn't necessarily uh, ever verbalize that, but I certainly was aware of it. And it's only upon reflection that I think, okay, um, as he had put it, this whole conversation about race um, often gets misconstrued by um, a, a lot of white people that will think, well, um, wait a second, what's this all about? And as he put it, it's simply about getting back to zero. It's not about getting plus one or plus two. It's about getting um, the black community to zero, to net zero, back on par with, because that's not what he was afforded growing up. Basically, white privilege. Yeah. Essentially. And, and when you, and people hear that term, white privilege, it's like, could be offensive. Like, Black Lives Matter could be offensive. Like, well, all lives matter. And you get right, to right, that minutiae right. of it <laughs> and not understanding, like, and you hit it on the head. I and mean, when you operate at a deficit and you're scratching and clawing and fighting just to get to the so-called level playing field where truly all men and women are created equal and have the ability to pursue life, liberty, and happiness and, and all of those things that are allegedly part of the American dream. And, and it's, it's, it's like having cancer and you go through chemo and then it could come back. I mean, you know, in many cases, until you die, the cancer is always there, can come back. So, you know, just you, I mean, when, when, it, when a country that's rooted in racism and slavery and injustice and inequality, that just doesn't say, okay, it's been X amount of years, so we're past that. I mean, can we ever get there? I, I hope so, and I believe so, but we're not there yet. Because, and the thing about it is, and it's really a human condition, a human issue, because I, I truly believe if everybody on the planet were the same color, you'd still have human emotions like jealousy, envy, rage, um, evil, and, and there'd be something else to be divisive. But the, the reality is when you have a stark, a stark reality that it comes down to because you're a certain color or certain race, a certain ethnicity from a certain culture that, you know, people are going to make a decision about you without knowing you, well then, t- listen, that 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 is the, uh, as it's called, the original sin of this country. 
I noticed that I'm having a hard time, especially within the last five, six weeks, thinking back to, because just like you, I went to the College of Journal. Well, College of Media was when I was there, but the basement of Greg yes. Hall, essentially, for four so years. So when you were there, was it four years or two years? Had it switched to it four was, years? Uh, it was actually three years, because I took Journalism 200 freshman year, and then by sophomore okay. year, you could get into the curriculum. Yeah, so, you know, it was just a two-year college with, I mean, it's... It's as it should be right now. But anyway, yeah, I digress. Yeah. Go ahead. So, you know, obviously objectivity, you get kind of beat over the head with it. And that's a good sure. quality to have as a journalist. But I find I would, that... I would say so. I, I find, though, that sometimes that's misconstrued as neutrality. And we get into a lot of both sides-ism. Like, well, both sides do this or whatever. And I'm thinking, uh, from your perspective, especially within the last five, six weeks and, and the conversations that have been going on, you know, you know your reality and you know your experiences right. and that of others in the black community. And yet there are certain things that you could say on a newscast that some people would say, well, that's not really a, you're, you're starting to allow emotion or subjectivity to get into it. But yeah, yeah. that's hard to counter, I feel like. Well, listen, there's always going to be a human element to journalism whether you're writing or you're on air, you do want to stay as objective as possible. And I think also the lines have been blurred between reporting and commentary and editorializing. Because And, 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 and the internet and Twitter and Facebook have a lot to do with that because how we consume it. Because, you know, uh, the race to be first and not necessarily right is... <laughs> As bad as it's ever been, mm -hmm. because everything is a is a is a is a click away from being broadcast and put out there, and everything is you know, you know, you know. I was taught, and I'm sure you were as well, that you want to have a first source, a second source, and triple triple check something before mm -hmm. you go with it. And you used to be able to have a story, and maybe you'd wait till the next day, and or you you compete to see if it was on the front page of the the newspaper who had this or. But that, I mean, now it's up to the literally the second of getting information out. It's just we're just inundated with that. And also, you know, anybody can spot off or spew whatever they think about anything. And it's just really clogged up the airwaves. And, and it's um, I was I was on vacation last week. It just did my very best to unplug from social media. Mm -hmm. My God, did it feel great? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because you, you you realize how toxic it is, right? And to get away from it, and and I think you develop some anxiety and different things. I mean, there's just so much information slash garbage out there that we're and you know it's almost insatiable that we have to we feel like we're missing something. You got to consume it. You wake up the first thing, you look at Twitter, and you're you know everyone's got something to say about everything. Um, so. I don't, I don't know if I really have an answer for you other than um, we do our best every day to be professional and really like kind of hold to those corny journalistic principles. And I think every, every decision I make about uh, as I'm writing something comes to that is, okay, what are the facts? You know, is it fair? Is it balanced? And that's, that's our job. And, you know, in my personal time, I'm a human being and we all have emotions and I can think what I think. And, and do my very best. And so, for example, like the George Floyd situation, um, the, the, the week end after that happened, I, I did like a, I posted a video. I guess I just had all of these emotions that I really had to vent and get out mm -hmm. so I could do my job. 
I didn't, I didn't want that lingering in me because yes, when I walk through these doors at CBS, I have a job to do. I want to be professional, but I, I'm still, when, when the lights go off, the cameras go off, I'm still a black man in this country. And with a history and a legacy of my family and, you know, family that at one point lived, were slaves that lived on plantations that migrated from the South to the North and, you know, uh, endured, uh, racism and, 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 uh, so many horrible things that afforded me this opportunity to be in the position I'm in. So I, I just can't turn a blind eye to as if things don't exist. I know when you, I know I, when I've lived it and can, you know, talk to family members and, you know, uh, grandparents and, you know, those before they passed and tell just the, just the horrible stories of things they had to endure in the South and even coming to the North. So yeah, all of that's a reality, but I, I just, I have to do, have a job to do. And I take it very seriously of being a journalist. I noticed that when the George Floyd thing happened, and it's remarkable how that's sort of a breaking point, I think for a lot of people where uh, maybe before that they were sympathetic to those that had to deal with racism. I would have probably been in that same camp, but I never acted. I never acted on anything, which, I mean, being a silent sympathizer doesn't really do anybody any good. And I, yeah. I noticed upon reflection that having been doing radio in some fashion since I was um, 15, 16, I started at 1071, I'm 33 now, so basically half my life. And sports radio specifically, that so much of what I was t uh, talking about and covering were young black athletes, and that it would be disingenuous uh, with this being at the top of mind as it should be to not start having these conversations, even though I may kind of stumble over some of them and I might be clumsy about it at the moment. Mm -hmm. But as you look at other sports media specifically, news media has to cover it. Sports media could always go the route of saying, well, that's not what we're about. We're more about, you know, right. just what's what happens between the lines of play. Uh, stick to sports, right? <laughs> the old stick to sports dilemma. So uh, w what do you think is the role of sports media personalities with all this going on? That's a great question. And I think that, um, I think it's been encouraging to see certain outlet outlets to say ESPN give their employees and talent, the liberty and the, um, freedom to express themselves on a, on their personal platforms, like Twitter, Instagram, what have you, because, you know, there's this thought that, you know, when you work for a television station, they basically own your life. <laughs> whatever you do say or whatever happens is a reflection on that entity. And uh, to a certain degree, that's true. But again, you're still a human being. You, you know, it's not like we can say, you know what, um, I don't feel like paying taxes this year because I, <laughs> I'm on television. I can't do that. You still right. pay taxes. You're a citizen and you should have all the rights that, like everybody else does. I think there's a limit. But like in, in this America, there's, there's freedom, but not freedom from consequences. So you, you have that aspect of it. Um, but you, you hit something on the head when, when you're talking about um, a lot of professional sports where the athletes are predominantly black. Uh, yeah, I think there's a responsibility, certainly when those athletes who now have the ability to express themselves, they don't need us, the media, to do that. They don't need that conduit or go-between. They can tweet out what they want or post what they want. So, you know, yes, that that's part of the story. Absolutely, I think it is. And 
you know, um, it's, it's difficult because, you know, sports is entertainment. It entertains us. And a lot of folks want to keep it that way as an escape. And, you know, that, that's their, it's almost like these athletes aren't real. They're not people. They don't look at them like that. You're truly like a gladiator. You're, you're here to entertain me. And I don't really care what you think or what affects you. You make X amount of millions of dollars. So, you know, you should be immune to, to life, which is nonsense. Right. So I think if you're going to, if you're going to make money off of um, athletes and you're going to make money off of, uh, you know, and I don't even want to get into college athletics because that's a whole other podcast. But just in general, if you want to, if you want to make money off um, athletes, black or white, but particularly black athletes and not be sympathetic to their plight, then that's, um, the height of hypocrisy and it's nonsense. You, you can't do that. So, um, yes, there's a responsibility to, um, fairly, uh, report and, and, um, include all elements of a story that are happening in life and society, because that's kind of certainly in today's, um, media world, because as I said, everything is up to the second. I mean, you kind of to turn a blind eye to blind eye to what's going on. It's completely irresponsible. A couple more questions for you, Ryan. And I know you mentioned yes. college sports. Um, and I, I was just thinking about this and to personalize it as you obviously were part of the final on I and um, thinking about I even just saw this morning you had a tw- uh, tweet about uh, hanging out with Kendall, maybe over the last weekend or something like that. And yeah. I, I don't was, know if you guys uh, Sunday, I think. OK, cool. And I don't know if you guys have had conversations with some of your old friends from the final on I or not. But I was thinking about how just revenue alone and notoriety and all all that they brought first to the community but then really just the university of illinois at large and that if the same conversations that we're seeing josh Matterbebe on the illinois football team talking about player representation and we're starting to see more college athletes speak out speak out and that seems to be a new phenomenon what do you think that team knowing all the strong personalities that are on it it's it's I'm guessing, but it seems to me like there would at least be a few of the guys on that team that would have been happy to say what's what. Well, a lot of guys did say what's what. There was just no Twitter or Facebook. Sure. Uh, and, and trust me, uh, Coach Henson and more so his assistant, because he would kind of say, Jimmy, Jimmy Collins, Dick Nagy had to put out <laughs> a lot of fires. I can tell you that from the back of Mark Booms. Yeah. Uh, a lot of strong alpha males alpha dogs which is why the team was so successful you had that much talent you had a lot of uh leaders both vocally and physically through their actions um and you know a couple years ago we had our 30-year reunion and there was a lot of talk about um compensation and just the fact that 30 years later the final Illini is still relevant uh certainly in central illinois but actually around the country i mean i you could see that it's one great thing about social media. It's real time, uh, research. You, you can see like how many clicks and likes and, you know, how people really engage with something in real time. So if people weren't into it, then no one would respond in a way. I know my old college roommate, Stephen Bardo does a lot of, uh, zoom calls and interviews with the flight Illini and it generates a lot of buzz, a lot of interest still because, you know, that, that team, connected with fans and the community on a really unbelievable level. And when that, and that's the, that, that's really what's the essence of sports. I mean, why we 
love and we're so passionate. It just, it connects with us on an emotional, a social, a spiritual level that's unmatched. And, and when, and people, they, you know, they always want greatness. They want to be close to it. And that's kind of what that was. But uh, man, listen, if, if social media existed in 1988, 89, it would have been good and bad because I don't know. If, <laughs> the, I don't know if the team would have survived the season yeah. <laughs> intact. <laughs> Might have been maybe a couple more suspensions or who knows what. And you know, I'm gonna let those sleeping dogs lie. But uh, the platform that today's athlete has is incredible and it's necessary. And and what I've, I've thought about this a lot. This coronavirus COVID nineteen climate has, is really giving today's college athlete unprecedented and incredible power because uh what we've seen is is just how uh it was already known but it's it's crystal clear how much uh, you know fans and the country craves that entertainment i mean people are up in arms about whether there's going to be college football i know we just had the announcement yesterday the big 10 it's only going to be conference play which is a precursor to say there'll be no football <laughs> in the fall i mean Again, that's a whole nother. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I don't see how they complete a season. No. I, I don't. I don't see it. And if you can't complete it, how do you start it? It's it's a Pandora's box. It's just you know we're in the middle of a health crisis, but people don't care because again, as I said earlier, people are not comfortable being uncomfortable. Uh, this is exposed how selfish people are. It, you know, if it doesn't affect me, I don't care. I'm not sick. No one in my family's sick. So whatever. I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm going to wear a mask. I'm not going to social distance. I've had enough. I get it. We're human. You know, it sucks, right? But, you know, I, I think there's a generation of people who lived through a couple world wars and depression and slavery and Jim Crow and lynching and uh, water hoses and civil rights movements who lived through those things to tell about it would say, you know what? Hold my beer. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This is okay. So uh, it's about time this generation had something to kind of, you know, buck up buttercup yep. in that situation. And, and I say that, listen. Um, thank God I haven't missed a paycheck since it started. A lot of folks have, and I'm sure. very sympathetic to that. Very sympathetic to that. That's just, it's awful. But back to, you know, what we're talking about here, I, I think that this situation has given these athletes incredible power because um, not by their doing, but the games, the competition, the television, it was taken away. And by the reaction of the public, of the consumer, that shows you how much power that they have. And so, and, and, and they're paying attention. It, it's interesting, you know, on college campuses, you'll hear coaches say, you know, I'm not just, you know, coaching players. I'm trying to raise men until they give their opinion. Then they want them to be little boys. You know, we, yeah, right. we want our kids, we, we want our student athletes to be free thinkers. We're it's student athletes and we're raising them to, you know, uh, coaching them up to, you know, educate them and, you know, to be great men and be great leaders until they have something to say that doesn't fall in line with what the university wants. Then, oh, wait, why did you tweet that? Why did you say that? Uh-oh, because you're messing with the money. That sounds like an employee to me. Because other than that, you know, it's America, right? So, again, it's all this double talk that's being truly exposed right now. You, you know, the, the Dabo Swinnies of the world, you know, coaches can make <laughs> – $10 million a year, $5 million, whatever it is, and the, the athletes don't get paid, and but they can't have an opinion. They, they, they just have to fall in line. So this is, I, I think this is great. I think 
any, you know, there's the old saying, all crisis is opportunity. And I think a lot of athletes are seeing that right now. And I think it's great. It's going to, I think we'll all be better for it on the other side. I, I, I saw somebody tweeted the other day that, uh, you know, because there's such a controversy about masks that uh, if you told someone, if, if wearing a mask would ensure a full college football season, the entire South would be wearing masks right now. Oh, absolutely. I think that's probably true with the country. <laughs> it's probably true with the country. Yeah. That's Mike, I really see. enjoyed this today. Yeah, I appreciate it. My favorite interviews are the ones where I got notes beforehand and then it just goes and it's organic. <laughs> And I, that was a great conversation, Ryan. I really appreciate it. Um, fantastic stuff. You are, of course, morning news anchor at CBS Chicago. Where are you at on Twitter? How can people find you? Uh, Ryan Baker Media on Twitter okay. and on uh, Instagram and Ryan Baker on, on Facebook. I got a personal page as well as uh, at CBS. And, you know, you don't have to be in Chicago to watch. You can tune it anytime on CBSChicago.com, CBS in Chicago. Look at me plugging the man already. That's all right. Turn it off. <laughs> and uh, but, uh, I, I enjoy. I, you're a great follow on Twitter. I love your thanks, Ryan. stuff, and uh, I appreciate you taking some time. Absolutely, and uh, I know this will be coming out Monday. But will you be watching that basketball tournament? Illini uh, was a House of Pain versus Red Scare this yeah. afternoon. I, I, absolutely. You yeah. know, I mean, my guy Michael Tulip is doing a hell of a job. I, Excellent I, I texted job. him the other day. I said, uh, you know, uh, Mikey. This coaching thing, you're going to get a job off of this. I'm impressed. I mean, he's doing a heck of a job yeah. and his poised. And I just said, listen, it, I, I'm going to say this right. Michael Latula is going to be on somebody's college coaching staff within the next year. That, without a doubt. And Mike Dom will be in some NBA camp. And Andres Feliz is probably making a lot of money for himself, too. Malcolm Hill is well, yeah, well, looking great. And you know what? I, Feliz might be in an NBA, at least a training camp. Right? If, there, if there was a summer league this year, Feliz would be on it. And, and, Trust me, the, everybody's watching because there's nothing nothing else on. The NBA is watching right now. Uh, both those guys definitely have, uh, you know, they've acquitted themselves very well. Ryan, that was a lot of fun. Take care, be well, and uh, we'll talk sometime down the line. All right, go Alana. All right, take care, Ryan. We'll see you. All right, take care. Ryan Baker, CBS Chicago. Excellent interview. And as I told him at the very end there, I had all these notes. I figured I'd be a professional about it, actually come prepared. And we just sort of got into it. And and credit to him, he is a professional. I wanted to make sure that I came ready to go, but he just kind of took the lead there with a great conversation. I hope you enjoyed that. Ryan Baker, well-known to people in Champaign-Urbana, to Chicago, of course, with his history at the University of Illinois and the Final Illini Connection, but now an anchor for CBS Chicago. I mean, it's a big deal. And he is someone that has paid his dues and risen in the ranks because of just how good he is on the air. You heard that just now. That was a very off-the-cuff conversation and yet still uh, a professional throughout. So, Ryan Baker, that was a lot of fun. Coming up later this week on Friday, we're going to have a Major League Baseball season preview. Can you believe that we're nine days away? Nine days away on July 23rd, that evening, I hope to settle in at my sister and brother-in-law's place. We got a brisket, Yankees Nationals, Scherzer, Garrett Cole. I'm ready. As long as nothing derails it. But I'm thinking that baseball will get started. At least it will get started. We'll see if it finishes or not. But cannot wait until we get to that. So we're going to have Casey Boguslaw, MLB expert, on with us this Friday for a Major League Baseball season preview. Next week, a couple more episodes before I'm gone. The week of July 27th. Another vacation. I know. It's a rough life. Going up to Wisconsin for one last trip before school starts. However that looks, who knows, but it will be nice to get away for that before we get back and maybe have to start talking about Illini football training camp. And I know all these things are in flux, but at the very least, 
it is tantalizingly close, and that's saying something. So now that we can no longer watch the House of Pain in the basketball tournament, at least there are other sports things around the bend. Got to thank DP Doe online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. dpdoe.com, 4th and Kirby online at 4thandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200LEVEL for 10% off at 4thandkirby.com. And stay from agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. That's brianismyguy.com, Trevor's favorite domain name. All right, take care, everybody. It's going to get hot again this week. It is summer after all, but hope you enjoyed this episode and that conversation with Ryan Baker. We'll be talking baseball in a few days, but until then, we'll see you. It's the 200 level.